place. We do what we want to do, you know. If they consider that selling out, then uh, whatever. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 26. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about all things Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. 32 years ago this month, the world lost Cliff Burton, legendary bassist of Metallica. The dark and melodic rumble heard on Kill 'Em All, Ride the Lightning, and Master of Puppets. And a man whose charisma, rebelliousness, vibe, and attitude has lived on, shared by the members of the band past and present, and the worldwide Metallica fan community. My guest this episode is Connie Burton, Cliff's big sister. Connie is the subject of a new documentary all about her brother called The Salvation Kingdom. The filmmakers have made the documentary available in its entirety on YouTube. You can find a link to that in this episode's show notes. So here it is, my conversation with Connie Burton. This is Speak and Destroy. How did the documentary come about? What was the the process of of that coming together? And I know you mentioned in the documentary that there's a book on the way as well. Uh, tell me about that, and you know who who approached who, and and where did the idea of telling this story? Uh, well, come first from? of all, um, Simon uh, J. Woodstock, uh, he um, he approached me, and um, uh, and had the idea. Um, to um, do a documentary um, mixed with God uh, and the Kingdom of Salvation. And um, I thought it was a great idea. God told me to go with it, so I did. You know, Simon had all, uh, has all intention of, of giving tribute to Cliff, and uh, as I do, too, uh, yes, I give tribute to my brother. Um, and so Simon took it from there, and they came up here from Marietta, California, oh, Cavalry wow. Bible. I'm sorry. I, 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 I was, oh, wow, because I lived in Marietta for ten and a half years. <laughs> oh, really? Well, they're from Marietta, California, and uh, <laughs> they... Um, they're from the uh, Cavalry Bible Chapel sure. College. Okay. Uh, I, know, Marietta, I know where that California. is. Yeah. And um, that's the team that put it together. Um, Simon and Ben came, made a journey up here and videotaped um, everything, and we did that at uh, Cavalry Bible, uh, Cavalry Chapel um, at Labar Meadows Road in uh, Grass Valley. So... Um, that's how that really came about. It was real easy. Him and I just talked on the phone, and and I prayed about it, and uh, got back to him, and then and we were we were on, and uh, that's just a God thing, to me. It may not be to anybody else, but um, he put it together like that. And then, what was the second half of your question? Um, you, you also mentioned in the documentary that there's a book on the way too. Oh yes, I. Uh, well, uh, okay. I'm writing a book. Uh, at this point in time, the writer has not written. 
Uh, namely me. (laughs) 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 Anyway, uh, I, uh, I've, I've run into a few issues, um, after, uh, four years of working on the book. And, um, it's been quite a few issues, um, personal issues for me, uh, to go through in, in the writing of this book, which I had no idea what I, what I was getting into when I started this for my brother and uh, for his fans. I'll tell you the truth, I've run into my procrastination, which is a, is a really good one when you're writing a book, you know, when I'm talking people, okay? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? <laughs> life gets um, in the way of life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um or you just don't do what your fullest potential is, really. And you let slide till tomorrow what you could do today. And there is no tomorrow. Because tomorrow is always today. And you may not even be here on this planet. The flesh may have died by then. You know? And so that's the way that one goes. But, uh... um. I lost what my train of thought was. Oh, we were talking about procrastination and oh yeah, to get the, book going. the procrastination yeah. has come up. The um, the the emotional, and it's also mental, and it can turn physical. Um, recalling and recording so many events of um my life with my brother, and um. That brings to me my mother and my other brother Scott, and um, and my dad who is missing uh, out of the picture. Uh, a re- estranged relationship, and uh, I, so I've run into my own problems along the way, which is uh, has put a halt uh, many times through the years here to what I'm doing and uh, to writing the book. And I'm I'm just doing the best I can with what I have to work with, and I'm going with the flow. <laughs> and that's the best I can do in this life, you know? And hopefully I'll finish it before I die. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so, too. God willing. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about, um, there were three of you. You were uh, the oldest of the three, right? And then there was a middle brother and Cliff was yes. the youngest. Do I have that right? Yeah. Um, it was, uh, Connie oldest, me oldest, Scott, he was two years younger than me. And then Cliff, um, he was two years younger than Scott. Do you remember what some of the introductions were to music in, in general, kind of for, for all of you? Uh, cause I know from having to, having spoken to people that, New Cliff in the past, um, how eclectic his tastes were, you know, that you would, Mm -hmm. you would look at a picture of Metallica at the time and think, okay, these guys listen to Venom and Motorhead and, and, you know, this and that, but then you would meet Cliff and he would start talking to you about Simon and Garfunkel and (laughs) all sorts of other stuff. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious what, uh, what the introduction was for that. If you remember any kind of, uh, early experiences with, you know, music that was around the house or, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. 
My mom first bought, and I still have in its case, from Sears Roebuck, mm -hmm. a silver tone guitar. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. And that was the family guitar, okay? That was the family music. So we started out there, and then we had a piano she got. And um, uh, Cook didn't play much with the, with the uh, guitar that she got. He wasn't real interested. He was more interested at that point in time in, uh, well, I'll just be honest here, in growing weed. <laughs> sure. Horticulture. Horticulture, everybody. Okay, that's what he was taking in school. Is horticulture. <laughs> hey, he was he he was ahead of his time here in California. <laughs> hey, he definitely was. Okay, <laughs> and this doesn't have anything to do with what you asked me, but I have a funny story about oh, that. <laughs> please, good. This is what we do here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he had bought from High Times Magazine. Mm-hmm. The ISO 2 machine <laughs> was back there in the 70s. <laughs> wow. And he had this thing. It made honey oil and hash oil out of headache wheat. All right? Stuff mm -hmm. he threw away. And in those days, he didn't throw it away. So you could buy a $5 big bag, right, of just shake. Mm -hmm. You put it in the ISO machine, and, you ha and it, it, go it has different chemicals, and it has to cook three days, and you have to tend to it. Cliff's got this thing shoved in the closet. All right? It's summertime. So he figures mom won't be going in the closet for a coat or anything like that, right? <laughs> yeah. He's cool. So my mom goes in the closet for something, right? Oh, my goodness. Okay? She had a fit. Oh, my God, you're going to bring the cops to the house. You're cooking dope in the house. Cliff's <laughs> 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 like, Mom, Mom, it's all right. It's just marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's okay. Here, have a toke. Okay. My mom's like, get that thing out of here right now. <laughs> That's it. It goes or you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> and so... That was the end of Cliff's, um, uh, <laughs> his, 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 um, his foray his into ag agriculture. <laughs> uh, yeah, horticulture. <laughs> horticulture, excuse me. <laughs> Amazing. I'm giving half my book away here. <laughs> it, and, it, no, it, no, think, think, like... think of it like a movie trailer. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people go, I want more yeah. stories like that. I'll buy the book. <laughs> yeah, and I know uh, from the documentary as well that he was uh, first really interested in piano uh, when it came to Yeah, to okay, musical, back to the so. piano. Yeah. You want my, uh, my mom, we both learned how to play the piano, Cliff and I. And um, Cliff loved the piano. He was very interested in what he could get out of that thing. The tone. He was looking for tone. And um, uh, my mom, <laughs> I love her dearly. She was my best friend and my worst enemy. 
she sold it mm. on mm. us and bought an organ from Sears also. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. Oh, we were devastated. By that time, I mean, Cliff was uh, 10, 9 or 10, 10, 11, and, uh, and I was in my early teens. And we had a fit, you know. It, that just was not acceptable. No one ever played the uh, keyboards either, which I think is kind of a shame because uh, one of us might have been good at it, but um, Cliff and I both had the same attitudes. Scott was not uh, strongly into it because he was into motocross and uh, motorbike riding mm. and um, sports of different sorts and things like that. He had his own interests, you know? But, um, yeah, it was a sad day when Mom, Mom sold that piano. And um, we both, uh, we both, you know, had a thing about that ever ever since she did it, you know. But that was the way life went. We weren't supposed to play the piano. And uh, <clears throat> Ozzy Osbourne said to me in 1998, we met up at a place in uh, Southern California, and uh, <clears throat> he said to me, Connie, you need to play guitar. Connie, you need to play guitar. And Cliff was teaching me how to play guitar when he died. Mm. Okay. Um, when Before he left on the last tour, he set me up with a few lessons ahead, right? And because um, we had the book, and I still have the book and everything, right, where he wrote excellent, A+, plus, right? <laughs> <laughs> nice. It was cool, you know? And um, But, I mean, it was cool to me because I was learning guitar, and my brother and I had this connection um, with... Uh, with just this connection. We were brother and sister, you know? No matter what went down, whether we were agreeing or disagreeing, you know, which we did do that. Um, but anyway, back to musical instruments. Then uh, after that came another guitar, a classical guitar, uh, in the family. And um, that Cliff showed some interest in when my mom started to play the classical guitar hmm. and um, he was listening to classical music from my dad um, once in a while so he had gotten already uh, the, the, the inspiration there with the classical music right he really loved that and um, and then uh he graduated uh, very quickly from there to the uh, Aria uh, Pro 2 um, guitar that they have. I think it's a Pro 2 guitar. And uh, <laughs> he was playing guitar um, for quite a while in his room. And uh, then he... Uh, switched to the bass, and um, he didn't like playing. He wanted to play lead bass. 
Yeah. Okay, Cliff, what's that, right? Well, I don't know. But it's lead base. Okay. And he came home one time from his uh, um, rehearsal. And he was really out of sorts. And that night, um, I used to go with Donnie Hillier, the singer for Trauma. Yeah. Uh, and so my poor brother had his sister at, at every rehearsal for <laughs> two and a half, three years, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at that point in time, you're trying to, as a as a man or as a person, you know, liberate yourself and grow, you know, grow and whatever. Yeah. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, there's your big sister. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Poor Cliff. <laughs> but uh, you know, I said the the uh he he wanted to play he played lead parts. But when he played them in, in this band it didn't work out well with the composition of everything else and uh what was going on at the time. It just didn't fit in. It didn't fit. And I quickly noticed he wasn't gonna fit anywhere really. You know, unless he could play both the bass and the lead guitar. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what I told him. You know, I said, uh, Cliff, unless you can figure out a way to put your lead guitar and your bass together in one, you know, um, then you're out of luck, dude. It, it's you know, you've got to create it because it's not created. <laughs> you know? And he was like, okay, fine. So he went and looked and searched for the head that would um, be able to give him the quality of, of sound and tones and the pedals and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he, I, he finally figured out he said one day, uh, when I said that to him about, look, you, you're going to have to figure out how to settle for either playing the bass or playing the lead guitar. You can't do both, right? Unless you can do both. Put them together. Well, he did. He went down to the um, the music store and asked the guy if you put a lead pickup in his bass guitar, in his Rickenbacker, right? Mm-hmm. And then, um, would it work? And the guy kind of laughed, right? I don't know, Cliff. <laughs> no one ever asked me to do this before. Uh-huh. You know, I have no idea if it'll work, but we can try it. So they did, and it worked. And that's the beginning of the beginning. Wow, and yeah, when as soon as you started talking about combining the lead guitar and the bass and creating a, a lead bass, you know, my mind immediately goes to anesthesia, and uh, that's you know, there it was. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, and yeah. a lot of that um, was also due to in the beginning. What he did was uh, he said they don't make a head out there or amp or not amp uh, head that makes the noise, the sound, the tone that I want, right? He, I said, why don't you make your own? You know, go to, co- go to the junior college, take the electronic courses, 
you know, just be sign up as a part-time student, take the electronic courses, and build your own. Uh, he was uh, clearly smart enough to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, so he did. And then he came back and he said, they want me to take PE and English and all these <laughs> prerequisites in yeah. order to get into Electronics 2. And I'm already done with Electronics 1, and it's only two months after the class started. What the? Right? And I said, <laughs> look, <laughs> this is my next big sister's suggestions, right? <laughs> I said, quit the classes. Go to the college bookstore, buy the advanced electronics books that you need, read them yourself, and do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. He says, yep, that's it. I'm going there. And he went that day, quit school, came home with these books, three books, right? <laughs> as thick as these. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and began reading. And then built his own. I think Jim Martin has that. I'm not sure. Mm, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. I'm not, I'm not positive on that one, but I'm pretty sure Jim's got it. Um, do you remember, uh, you know, around this time when he's playing in Trauma and, and sort of, you know, getting close to those Metallica days, do you remember who some of his favorite bands were? Of course, he's often credited with introducing... Uh, the Metallica to the Misfits, and of course Metallica then sort of introduced the Misfits to the world. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and he had that tattoo and everything at a time when uh, oh. people cut being covered in tattoos wasn't a thing uh, in, in uh, music like it is. Uh, this is close, too. Totally original. He said, I looked at all the skulls. I wanted a skull. I looked at skulls for years. I've looked at them. I've looked at them. They all look the same. This is the only one that didn't look the same as the rest of them. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's a cool image. And so it went on his arm because it was uh, not uh, as scully as the rest of the skulls that we're familiar with in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what? What else was he listening to around that time? What, do you, what was he listening to around the time of Trauma? Uh, sure, sure. And even in the early Metallica days. Uh, uh, the early Metallica days. Um, a lot of Ozzy. Uh, a lot of Getty Lee. Mm. Uh, he listened to Getty Lee and Jimi Hendrix. And... Um, Oh, classical music, Bach, mm-hmm. um, uh, Segovia, uh, and Segovia plays Bach, and he went to see Segovia um, live in San Francisco. He was really excited about that one um, when he was alive. When uh, I meant when they were both alive. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I understood. <Excuse> <laughs> Had to be when they were alive, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, not necessarily, though. Yeah, maybe they're hanging out now. <laughs> I, well, I'm sure they are. <laughs> I hope so. Somebody's got to guide my big mouth. <laughs> well, you know, one thing I've always thought uh, was very interesting as a 
a position I've always held, an opinion, if you will, as a Metallica fan, is you know during the '90s when some fans complained that they cut their hair and they and their their sound evolved and this and that. I I love the stuff that they put out through the '90s. I understand some of the criticisms, but um, the one that burns me though is when you see some fans say, "Oh well, if if Cliff were still around, he would have hated all this. He would have hated these songs. He would have hated this and that." And and yep. I always think as a as a fan. Um, he was the first guy to introduce melody and classical elements. And, you know, he was, he liked yeah. Thin Lizzy and he liked, uh, you know, a lot of the classic rock stuff. I feel like he, he would have pushed them into that bluesier, more sort of stripped down yeah. direction sooner <laughs> and been yeah. right there for yeah. it. That's always been my, you know, so it always kind of, I feel like people that say that are casting Cliff, in a way that they would like, as opposed to what he was really like, <laughs> you know. And I, I right. think I think he's the guy in right. the bottoms up there. You well, know, you you can tell, <clears throat> you can tell the the uh, hear the difference uh, between um, Cliff uh, being there and not. Yeah, it's it, it's very evident. It's um, it's alive and well today still, you know? Some people say, oh, Metallica's nothing without Cliff, right? And I, I, I say, no, look at them. Look at them, okay? No matter what their music's like, no matter what they're singing about, the world knows the name Metallica. It's a household name, practically. I've only met two people that don't know the name Metallica mm-hmm. in my life, right? And one was 92 and the other was three, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you get a three-year-old trying to say Metallica, okay? <laughs> and, 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 and both of them met you and now they know the name too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Another generation. <laughs> but um, there is an, a noticeable dis- difference, and, and that's because Cliff was so um, individualized and original mm-hmm. um, and unique um, as a musician. And uh, um, he his uh, abilities and talents were of a virtuoso, of a prodigy, uh, from everything that I observed of my brother, you know? And um, uh, I, I think that, that Metallica would, would have gone in a different direction, but I think that they would have taken over the world as they have anyway. Sure, uh, definitely. If Cliff was alive. I, I, I don't know if Cliff would be with them, um, but... Uh, you know, I hate to speculate on that. Of course, of course. And, and, and that's kind of what I'm getting at, too, is people that sort of speculate in the direction that they want to. I th- I don't think that's fair to the band yeah. or, or fair to Cliff, you know? No, um, it, it isn't. It isn't. Um, you know, we can only imagine. And um, I think that that's something that we should keep in our imagination. 
mm-hmm. you know? I mean, not that everybody doesn't have a voice, uh, because they do, you know? And uh, I can appreciate the point of view. I can understand where it comes from, what it's about. But um, uh, you have to give credit where credit is due. And you do not become uh, successful for so many years and still be alive as Metallica is without uh, a force that is driving the music in into other people. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, with Definitely. or without Cliff. Definitely. And I would argue that Cliff's spirit, and, I, you know, the band is, is very reverent and, each of the bass players that's succeeded that him in that position ha- have been very reverent and uh, uh, complimentary yeah. and respectful and everything towards towards the legacy and the foundation that of what he put there and you know each you know Jason and Rob uh, both you know played Cliff's parts around the world <laughs> night after night <laughs> you know and they know yeah. that. they know they know who did it first and um, there's never been any sort of attempt to diminish his contribution to the band i think if anything they uh they continue to celebrate it and i think that that's awesome mm-hmm. oh you're giving me ideas for cliff burton day for next year oh Ooh. don't do this while i'm on the phone with you Ooh, la, la. Uh, <laughs> it'll be it'll be here again before we know it um, inspiration yeah uh-huh. it will be it will be i love it cliff burton day in castor valley february 10th 2019 and that'll be the, and that'll be yet. the second one right because this year was the first one right ever. uh-huh and the first one ever my dad called in i got there rather late in the afternoon so um i miss my buddies uh mike borden and um audrey kimball i'm giving a shout out to and um uh but uh, I got to see all of the band, uh, the guys in Trauma again. Nice. And I haven't seen them for like 25 years or something like that. It's 20 years, so it's been a long time. And that was really nice. And it was just, um, uh, Aria was there, Aria. How do you say it, Aria or Aria? Um, I think it's Aria, right? Oh well. I don't know. I'll go I'll <laughs> go back and me. look and, and edit it so it's the right one. <laughs> <laughs> don't sue me later. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um uh, the Aria um people were there and they were uh you could uh take a picture with Cliff's replica base or his Rickenbacker wow. uh replica and and have your picture taken. And, um, so that was really nice. And, um, I wasn't invited or anything like that. I was told about it and I put it out on the internet to have millions of people from all over the world, um, to know about it, to sign the petition, right? Mm-hmm. I remember. So I heard they got flooded with stuff from Argentina. Thank you, Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> So cool. Metallica chapter in Argentina, Honduras, oh my goodness, um, Portugal, Brazil, uh, all over the world. 
<laughs> I was going I'm going the other way now. Germany, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Japan, back over this side. <laughs> <laughs> we won't forget anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody in America, yes. <laughs> yeah, the response was was overwhelming, and it was so cool that the that the city recognized it and made it a thing as they should. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't have a chance to make it up for that this year, but I definitely intend to next year. Um, so yeah, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, do you remember the first conversation that you had with your brother about him being asked to join Metallica and those guys moving up there? Or, um, <laughs> what was that, what was that, uh, time like? The- yeah, those days and, um, uh, I, I go into detail in, in my book in it too, um, that, uh, what that uh, came about in such a uh, supernatural way of manifestation. I, um, after Cliff had played uh, at the venue down in Los Angeles, right? Mm-hmm. And um, Lars and uh, James uh, said, you know, Lars said he's, he's going to be in our band. Um, well, I used to read BAM magazine regularly in the Bay Area, BAM, B-A-M, mm-hmm. BAM. Um, and uh, I had never read the personals before, though, for any reason. Uh, there wasn't any reason for me. You know what I mean? For me, to, But this one time, I, read, I was reading the magazine, and I read the personals. And I see this, uh, looking for a bass player of trauma, Right? Hmm. <laughs> call and then it had the phone number and it was the LA number right and um, I said oh wow you know and I'm going to try to get a copy I think I have one in storage as a matter of fact Wow. Um, of that BAM magazine um, uh, uh, advertisement you know call out uh, shout out to Cliff and uh, anyway, I read, I, I said, Cliff, check this out, right? There, you know, these guys want to talk to you. And he's like, yeah, right, well, that's, where's that area And I go, that's L.A. And he goes, well, you know. I go, well, call them, you know, you got nothing to lose, see what they want, you know, whoever it is. And uh, so he called, and it was Lars and James. Wow. And uh, they wanted him to join the band. And he said, well, send me a tape, and I'll listen to it, and then I'll, I'll, you know, get back with you and stuff, right? Yeah! And, uh, because Cliff had never heard them before, you know? And, uh, so they sent him a tape, and he listened to it, and he was like, yeah, you know, this is cool, but I'm not moving down there. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And, um... He told me, I said, are you going to move to L.A., right? He goes, no, I don't know, you know? Excuse my language. <laughs> I'm not moving to L.A., you know? If they want me in the band, they can move up here. Okay, this is my home. And uh, I'm not ready to move away from my home, you know? And uh, he just uh, kind of... Went with that one, like, with the flow. Do you know if it was meant to be, it was meant to be. If it wasn't, it wasn't. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, 
So anyway, they said, yeah, sure, you know, and two weeks later, they were here <laughs> in the <laughs> Bay Area, you know? Yeah. And that was, you know, the beginning, you know, days, and um, it was right on time because Cliff was expanding at such an accelerated rate in his ability to uh, create, compose, um, uh, uh, write lyrics, everything. He was blossoming, and um, there wasn't an outlet for him, and God, and God made that outlet there, you know, and that was Lars and James, you know. It was all meant to be. Yeah, and it's crazy. Um, but, such a a big decision happened so quickly, you know, and, and so and for those guys to what they must have seen in Cliff, uh, performance and personality wise to uproot, you know, all three of their lives, <laughs> move yeah, six exactly, hours north. Exactly, it's pretty incredible. Well, from what uh, from what I remember of those days and when they were happening. Um, Lars and James were both as adamant as each other, but Lars, being more vocal, right, was like, you know, okay, this is going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're making this happen, you know? And uh, James was the driving force behind that, or beside it, I should say. Do you remember um, the first time you met any of those guys? The first? Oh, no one's ever asked me that. I'm good. I'm good at this. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> the first time I met him. Oh, I'll have to think about that. <laughs> Definitely, I'll have to think about it. the first time I met him. I don't remember the first time I met him <laughs> at the moment <laughs> because to me. That world wasn't like they were people like, you know what I mean? Sure. Oh, they're musicians. Do you know what I'm saying? Of course. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Just guys who played in the band. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. And I'd been around that all my life. Yeah. You know, Um, with and without Cliff. So, um, you know, I had a boyfriend who was, uh, who was, um, member of the Hell's Angels, and when he was alive, he was uh, um, a uh, bodyguard for uh, Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings. Mm. And uh, so I was acquainted, too, with the, you know, with that, and guys that are on the road, and uh, <laughs> country music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which I must admit I don't listen to much these days. Okay. Yeah, but those were uh, th- those were good ones, <laughs> Waylon and Willie. <laughs> when it comes definitely, to uh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Oh, when his Harley, his new Harley, after he uh, broke his back, was going down the road, you could hear that Waylon Jennings from those uh, speakers mm-hmm. <laughs> on, the, hmm. on the touring bike. They got him right. Wow. Um, do you remember? Uh, Maybe then the first time you saw Cliff uh, playing in Metallica. And if it was a, a show or a rehearsal or... Oh, no, I was... 
I was not allowed at rehearsals. <laughs> <laughs> My brother, Forklift. Different than trauma. <laughs> then, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. He had um, he had moved to another level, and he was older now. <laughs> the big sister's not taking him to practice anymore. <laughs> and well, one of the first things that he asked me was please don't hook up with any of the guys in my band. <laughs> right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I said, but Cliff, you know, wait a second here. <laughs> Hold on. Whoa. Slow the train down a little bit, right? <laughs> I have to have some input here on this, you know? <laughs> no, no, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> I'm asking you. <laughs> Please do not hook up with any of the guys in my band. And he was really serious. He wanted his life and his life with music as it was and the guys. Do you know what I mean? Of course, yeah. And um, without his big sister anymore. You know, he'd had enough of the <laughs> four and a half years without it <laughs> and growing up with me, right? <laughs> sure, yeah. Okay, time to graduate from big sisterville. <laughs> 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 but... Uh, yeah, the first time, uh, the first time that I heard Metallica, when they were Metallica, I mean, the first time I heard the guys all together, right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. play, was at a party um, at Kirk's house in El Cerrito, and um, it was like them practicing but it turned into a party thing Mm. and that was the first time i heard them that i remember and i don't remember what day what year it was or anything of the sort you know um but this but this was at kirk's house so this would have been after uh dave was out of the band yeah so they yeah oh if you want me to go back before cliff now when i first saw him with dave that was uh at um shoot that was at stone in san francisco i think Mm, yeah i know they played there a lot in the early days yeah it was great we used to have great gigs um uh they were so fun we developed in the bay area and you know i'm 61 years old so i'm uh, pretty old school here in the metal game Mm -hmm. and uh we were like on the scene uh, in the uh, 70s and 80s, especially the 80s, um, early on when the uh, punk scene arrived here mm-hmm. in San Francisco, right? And um, and then um, one night uh, we were at the Stone, and Metallica was playing, and I think Slayer was playing, and... Uh, I'm not sure if it was King Diamond or Anthrax, one or the other. But uh, anyway, one of the gigs we were at, and, and we started uh, going around a circle, right? <laughs> My girlfriend and I, we were like square dancing at first, okay? But those were the days where you wore leather with spikes on them, you know, mm-hmm. if you were into that, right? Mm-hmm. On your wrists and uh around your neck or whatever and um 
and my girlfriend and I were definitely metal like that. You know, we were all, you know, spiked out. <laughs> Don't go in for the hug. Okay? <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> but anyway, um, and uh, we one night we're doing this, and we started going around, skipping around in a circle, and everybody else started skipping around in a circle, and I had gotten thrown off the speaker, which I was very upset with. I used to, <laughs> I used to sit on the speaker, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was so much fun, right? And <laughs> the security was like, the owner's all concerned about liability, right? If you get hurt with these guys <laughs> doing this, he has to pay for it, right? Mm-hmm. You can sue the band. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> but uh, those were those were really the days when the eruption of rage... Mm-hmm. and rebellion and um, things, hatred, things of the sort, um, that that darkness uh, was uh, flowering in the Bay Area with mm-hmm. the metal scene that was flowering with it, you know? And um, that's just the sign of the times as it was, you know? And it was great. It was a lot of fun. But... Yeah, I first uh, uh, first saw him at Stone. I think it was with with um, Dave. I give a shout out to Dave. Hey, Dave, I haven't talked to you in a long time. Call me. <laughs> so was so at the Stone. Then was that was that with Cliff and with Dave, or was that with the old bass player? Um, I saw them once with the old bass player, mm. and then uh, with Cliff there. Oh, okay, cool. Cool, cool. Uh, do you remember anything else fun about that that uh, rehearsal turned into a house party at Kirk's? <laughs> that would have that would have been a- then after probably that they had uh, been to New York to make the first album, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was as a matter of fact, and um, uh, I just remember uh, um, uh. Oh, an air of uh, anticipation and um, uh, enjoyment and um, excitement and um, and fierce too, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a blossoming time, definitely, and you could feel it. It was a partying time We're, back then, though. You have to think we were we were partying, and the the band those guys partied hard. They play hard, party hard. You know what I mean? Alcoholica. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean that did not come about on accident. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Smirnoff and all. <laughs> yeah. I, I have 16 years clean and sober from drugs and alcohol, and I hate. I always hated vodka, right? Mm-hmm. And my brother would pull out this bottle of vodka before a gig, and there he'd go. I've never, I've never told this one before, but um, that was towards the end of things, and he always drank before he went on stage because his neck hurt him so bad mm-hmm. from head banging. And he couldn't help the headbanging. It was an involuntary action of his body when he played. I mean, he tried to alter that 
behave, physical behavior by not headbanging. And um, he wasn't playing without banging. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what's interesting is here we are in 2018. Uh, James Hetfield, Dave Mustaine, and Tom Araya from Slayer have all had neck surgery <laughs> in their yeah, adult exactly. lives. Um, well, and, Cliff, yeah. Cliff got to the point um, right before the Master of Puppets tour, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he said to me, Connie, I think I need to get a chiropractor to go with me, you know? I don't have enough money, right, uh, to do that yet. But um, uh, I need a chiropractor to go with me to fix my neck after I do the gigs, you know? I'm in, in a lot of pain. And, um, you know, the one thing that you did do was drink to suffice the pain is... Uh, uh, I go into detail of um, how his sister tried to assist him in quailing the pain. Mm-hmm. Who I, I'm a full-blown addict in recovery, but um, I go into detail in my book on the ways that I tried to help my brother. To kind of self-medicate, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let Doctor Connie help you out here. <laughs> Oh, that didn't work. Let Dr. Connie help you out here. <laughs> we'll try this. <laughs> oh, that didn't work. Oh. It's funny how you mentioned being in recovery and, uh, you know, Cliff's drink of choice being vodka and you, and how you didn't like it is when uh, David Ellison was on the podcast, you know, he's also been clean and sober for a long time. And um, uh-huh. he, he was saying that uh, he always hated Jägermeister. <laughs> it was Metallica. Oh, always really? wanted Always wanted to drink Jägermeister. <laughs> so. Oh, wow. I have a story. And uh, this is my story, and I'm sticking to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was so cool. Um, uh, uh, Mick, um, the uh, Big Mick, their yeah. uh, sound man. Yeah. Right? Well, him and I were, you know, good buddies back in the day. We'd hang out and stuff. And my mom would have, you know, parties once a year or twice a year, right, and have all the guys and everything, right? And um, close, closest friends and stuff. And so we were at a party at my mom's house, a gathering, and um, ran out of booze. Well, that didn't work, right? So Big Mick and I got... Uh, elected to uh, go and um, go to the store, liquor store, and buy uh, the booze. So we're in uh, Danville, California. And if any of you know the place, it's, you know, like the Safeway has gold um, on the uh, frozen section, you know, where you open the door, it's gold, right, (laughs) plated, Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay? And it expresso bar on a piano, <laughs> okay, <laughs> and it's very nice. So we went to this liquor store, and they had the huge selection of liqueurs, and you know, really like exotic uh, liquors uh, and spirits, and um, which they are spirits that can go on the God one, but on this one too, you know. Mm-hmm. They don't call that a spirit for nothing, because it is. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, 
And I know it because I've been there, done that. <laughs> Alcoholica and all. Um, but anyway, we went to the store. And uh, we're looking through all this stuff, and the guy's giving us samples, right? <laughs> it was great. <laughs> samples of liqueur and stuff. And. So I said, hey, what's that one up there with the, it's red and white. And, um, you know, me being of the family of Hell's Angels, I, um, I noticed the red and white immediately, right? And, and it had a cross, you know, it was red cross, right? And then the, the uh, elk or whatever it is. With, and mm-hmm. um, I said, what's that one? What's that red and white one with the cross on it? The guy brings it down. That Jägermeister. Ah, good one. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he sounded like Yoda or something, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And this was an event for us, all right? We were picking out the booze, and it was my mom's gig. And you did not mess with my mom, all right? She was the life of the party, all right? But then on the other hand, okay, you didn't mess with, especially mess with my mom and her booze. <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That wasn't happening either. It better be good. Okay, get the good stuff. <laughs> right? <laughs> so we picked out the Jägermeister. And um, we brought back four bottles of that. And then a bunch of beer and champagne and stuff. And the Jägermeister went over very well. Nobody remembers that. It's probably except for me being at the liquor store. I don't remember anything after... James, me passing the bottle to James, right, and him taking a hit off of it and looking up at me like, oh, my God, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's cough syrup or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I hear about it, yeah. <laughs> it is. And the look on his face was priceless. I would have wished I could have captured that in a photo, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, considering <laughs> considering what fans they went on to become of it. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom is like, this is the best you could get. <laughs> it tastes like cop syrup. I could have gone to the dang store and <laughs> done this myself, right? <laughs> oh, my but uh, she grew to like the Jägermeister anyway, so she joined <laughs> the Jägermeister Club. <laughs> oh, man, man. Uh, so do you remember, uh, I mean, I, at, at this point, you know, around the Kill em All days is when they really started touring quite a bit. Um, uh-huh. was it, uh, you know, and of course people listening to this podcast need to remember that there wasn't email or cell phones or any of that. So it had to be very hard oh, to keep no, in touch. Um, how, how often were you able to kind of keep in touch with your brother in those, at that period with all the touring and stuff? Uh, oh, well, he would call regularly. He called. And, um, and, uh, we didn't, I didn't call him unless, you know, it was an emergency and it never was, you know. He turned out to be the emergency phone call, not me. But, um, on that one, uh, he, uh, he called regularly. And, um, then he called when he was, when there was a gig where there was something happened and um, 
he was excited about it or he met so-and-so or this or that, right? Um, I remember the time that he called up and um, they were in New York and it was around this time. And um, Cliff listened um, intently and devotedly to um, Rush and mm. Getty Lee. Yeah. Uh, and studied him uh, through the years. And uh, we went to the Rush concert in Oakland uh, at the Oakland uh, Stadium uh, when they, uh, that was in 80, wow, 80? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds sounds Over right. Around there, I don't know. We you can probably look it up. And I was Google just about, I was just about out, to say right? I I can look it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, and um, anyway, we we went to see him live, and anyway, he called up though. He was so excited that uh, he said uh, they they said the Getty Lee's here that he wants to see me, that he wants to meet me, and. Um, and he was so excited, he had called up, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he called another time from Germany one time, and he was so wasted. Oh, my gosh, he was drunk, right? <laughs> He's in Germany. He goes, Connie, you got to come over here, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be right the there. The beer's over here, man. The beer's over here are great. Okay, <laughs> and I get he. I guess he got a hold of that twenty-five percent ale or whatever, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, so yeah, we used to talk uh, often. There, I mean, there it, it would be at least um, you know he'd make sure he checked in with my mom. At that time, the Kill 'Em All album, I was very much entrenched um, and involved in my life um, with uh, with my old man and Hell's Angels in Oakland yeah. and San Francisco, and um, doing doing my thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, you know. Uh, speaking of Oakland and, and San Francisco and everything, um, a I was lot- born in San Francisco. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, Mount Zion Hospital. Yeah, a lot of people talk about uh, that performance. Uh, Metallica at Day on the Green is one of the uh, really kind of pivotal, you know, turning uh, points in their in their journey upwards. Did you um, did you get a chance to go to that? Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, what, what can you tell me about that? That's like a legendary. Uh, it was, you know, that's it like was that's like Woodstock awesome. for metal. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and it was so awesome to finally um, be able to see the band uh, in all their glory at that time, you know, in all God's glory at that time. uh, With uh, the energy that was there, it was just like electric. It was just electric. The crowd, uh, I, that gig... The first gig that they ever did there at the the Oakland uh, Stadium, uh, at the end of the gig, I asked Cliff, and um, he did not trust me, and I wasn't trustworthy because I drank and used massive amounts of sedatives and um, was doing my methamphetamine and all the rest of it, you know? I, I, I was a mess. 
through parts of, of Cliff's life. I, he came walking off the stage, right? And I said, Cliff, Cliff, I said, look, you know, he knew that I was not drinking that day. I was, I hadn't uh, smoked any meth, you know, <laughs> whatever. And uh, no pills, you know, he tell us clean. I said, can I go out? and just stand in the middle of the stage. I want to feel what it's like with all these people, you know, these thousands of people, right, with their attention focused in one direction and with one thing in mind, mm -hmm. you know, the, link the minds of many. <laughs> and he said, no, no, no. I said, come on, Cliff, please, please, I promise I won't do nothing. I won't say nothing. Okay, I'll just go out there and just stand there for a second and come back off. So he goes, all right, all right, Connie, you know, and he goes, let her, let her, let her go on the stage. So the security guy let me go on the stage, and I stood there in the middle of the stage. And, oh, my gosh, I cannot describe to you what the sensation is of having thousands of spirits focused on one single thing. Yeah. One single focus. You know? And the power in that and um and and that goes for all the Christians out there. Okay? The power in that focus of the mind is just um, out of this world, totally out of this world. It was an uh, experience I will never forget. I suppose it would be a, a year or two after that uh, when they got the tour with Ozzy, which was another big pivotal thing for them uh, career-wise that put them in front of so many new crowds and everything. Um, do you remember anything about that? <laughs> Uh, I want to say Ozzy Osbourne did it, okay, for Metallica. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they have God to praise and thank, the good Lord, right, and the Prince of Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> also known as Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's be respectful about this. John, Ozzy, Michael, Osborne, okay? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, those days, you know, um, Ozzy uh, catapulted uh, Metallica in, um, in the fact that, you know, he, he, he's Ozzy. He, he'd been Ozzy. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He wasn't a new kid on the block here. This was uh, a very well-known artist. He brought the people that perhaps otherwise wouldn't have been involved in as Metallica as much as they are or were. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so he brought a whole different dimension and a whole different level 
to the uh, uh, amount of people that were exposed and to be uh, influenced in any way uh, by uh, this band Metallica, you know, and he made that possible. Uh, in, in the fact of saying, you know, come come with me, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, <coughs> so, you know, and that, that didn't happen by accident either, you know, at all. Uh, that, was, that was a meant-to-be thing. Just like I ended up with Ozzy in 1998. I won't mention where, but he knows. And uh, <laughs> I ended up... <laughs> In this place, looking at each other, going, out of all the places in the world and all the people in the world, how did I end up here meeting you, right? <laughs> it was it, it was out of rehab. I know he doesn't mind me saying that. Yeah, okay? <laughs> yeah. No, he's, he's been pretty open and, about that. <laughs> well, I had gotten kicked out of Betty Ford and um, because I was rageaholic also. And um, some 19-year-old girl decided she was going to mess with me, and I wasn't going to have it. So it was Sunday after church, and I decided it was time for church. (laughs) 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 They they didn't appreciate that there at Betty Ford. And and, um, no, not at all. And they came to me and said, Connie, look, we love you, but you have some problems that go real deep. And we don't go that deep here. <laughs> but we know <laughs> wow. a place that does, wow. okay? <laughs> and they they did. They came and picked me up at 4 o'clock in the morning, in the middle of the night, middle of the morning. This huge woman, all right, in a white van. I'm, like, looking at how scared to get in, right? <laughs> 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 She was a lot bigger than me, okay. But uh, anyway, we ended up at this place that uh, I think it was the Playboy magazine. It was the Playboy magazine or, um, article that Ozzy Osbourne did, and uh, and Ozzy called the place Auschwitz, okay? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and, <laughs> that probably didn't go over very well. <laughs> well, that's what they sent me in. Um, I say it was for the um, really uh, famous and the really effed up (laughs) and the really far gone and lost, (laughs) definitely, you know, and I'm laughing because I'm instead of crying, actually, right? you know, it was, uh, you know, I wish I would have gotten it back then, but, uh, you know, that's another thing about Metallica. I uh, I like the way that they're uh, these days giving back. Yes. Um, and uh, I hope that they make that count, you know. I think them going into prisons and playing, you know, is awesome. Now, what was the first Metallica gig you ever went to? Uh, that's a great question. Unfortunately, um uh, so when I discovered the band was 1987, which was, you know, just uh, several mo- less than a year after Cliff had passed away. Oh, um, really? So, oh, wow. Yeah, I never got to see him with Cliff. I had I had friends in Indianapolis where I grew up who saw them uh, 
touring with Armored Saint and saw them opening. Uh, oh yeah, Armored Saint, yeah. Yeah, and they saw them on the Ozzy tour. I my first Metallica show was Monsters of Rock in 1988, which was uh, Van Halen with Sammy Hagar, the Scorpions, Dawkins. And Meta- uh-huh. Metallica went on second of five in like the middle of the day, and uh, oh really? My fr- my friend and I went just to see Metallica and left after they were done. <laughs> um, <laughs> Did but, you really? But yeah, that was uh, that was yeah, and that was before it was the year that Justice for All came out, but it was before the album had actually come out. And then yeah, since then I've seen them, you know. Over and over and over, <laughs> a bunch of times in uh, Indiana, where I grew up, and Detroit and Chicago, and then I've been, you know, I've been in Southern California since 2001, and I've seen them in uh, L.A. a bunch, and uh, went to go interview actually James and Kirk for MTV back in 2003, and that was in oh, Salt, did you Salt really? Lake City. Yeah, I've gotten to interview Kirk. Um, I've interviewed Kirk a bunch of times. I've interviewed James the one time. Um, uh-huh. I've gotten, you know, first name basis with Robert, uh, and Lars is actually, it's funny cause Lars is kind of the most sociable. He's actually the one that I've never met or interviewed. <laughs> all this, oh, all really? This time. Oh, yeah. you, oh no, you gotta be kidding me. Lars got left off the list. It's on my list <laughs> and I want to get it. It should be because I know he's no one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. He's keeping track of that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, he was a business one from. He was a businessman from day one in that yeah. band. Yeah, that's think, all there was to it. Okay? I think a lot of people don't realize people that aren't the hardcore fans don't recognize quite how important Lars has been to the whole, to all of it. You know. Oh my gosh, he was he was the only one that would sit down. Okay, I mean, James would sit there. But you could tell, you know, when he was rolling his eyes and stuff like that. You know, Cliff right off the top when the management company started coming in, you know, mm-hmm. and I, right? Mm-hmm. Cliff right off the top whenever they'd have a business meeting, he was like, you know, F you guys, I'm out of here. Okay, I'm not staying around for this. But when they came in to try to change the music, okay, Cliff was there every single time he never missed a beat right and he was like no 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 and no and what about (laughs) the word no don't you understand okay (laughs) you can't change anything i'm saying no this is the whole band here no (laughs) right (laughs) if you want us you take us like we are or don't take us and, you know, that's uh, in the, on the business side of music, that's what was happening there, you know. Cliff was a driving force on that because they named the Kill 'em All after Cliff saying, Yeah. After that time, right? Yeah. Kill all the record distributors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was after one of those sessions where Cliff was like, No, no, you're not changing that. No, you're not changing that. You know what I mean? You're not making us more glam or sellable or upbeat, you know, or the beat or your beat, whatever your beat is, because it's our beat. <laughs> yeah. Or no beat with you. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the story, right? They were going to call the album Metal Up Your You Know What, and uh, 
And, and they said no. And it the record distributor it. said no. And then, yeah, and then Cliff said, well, let's call it Kill Em Kill All. Em all. <laughs> Kill Em All! <laughs> That's yeah, so Cliff definitely had his contributions, didn't he? Oh, yeah. And they still uh, live on. Check out past episodes of Speak and Destroy with great guests like M. Shadows, Mike Portnoy, Lizzie Hale, Jamie Josta, David Ellison, Alex Skolnick, and many, many more. And check out our sister podcast, No Prize from God, which features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. Guests have included Kellen Quinn of Sleeping with Sirens, Jesse Leach of Killswitch Engage, Dwight Hellion of Integrity, Satir Juan Graven of Satyricon, Karen Crisis of Gospel of the Witches, and many more. You can find me on social media at Ryan Downey on Twitter, at Superhero HQ on Instagram. Speak and Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. As always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downey. <laughs>